What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to My Social Life. This is a podcast where you can hear the real stories behind the people on social media. I'm your host, Jacob Kelly. And before we jump into today's conversation with Alex Tuccio, there's a couple things that we need to go over first. Number one, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider leaving a rating and a review. The more positive ratings and reviews we get, the more it helps new people find the show and it really helps to grow the community that we're developing here. And if you're one of those people that have recently found the podcast, welcome. I'm very excited to have you here. Make sure you subscribe and stay tuned for future episodes. And to everybody listening, make sure you screenshot this, post it to your Instagram story, tag at my social life podcast and at Tuccio, and I'll feature you on the account and send you a message as well. Now, without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Alex Tuccio. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to My Social Life. This is the podcast where you can hear the real stories behind the people on social media. I'm your host, Jacob Kelly, and today we're joined by Alex Tuccio. And Alex is a former Division One baseball player. He's an entrepreneur. He's the founder of Scout Day, which was acquired earlier this year. And I'm very excited to have him here on the podcast today. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Jacob. Thanks a lot for having me on. It's my pleasure. So where I want to start is I think the natural place to start is with baseball. So you've been, you played baseball pretty much your entire life growing up, right? I did, yeah. Definitely an overall athlete growing up. Definitely an active kid um, ever since I can remember, you know, four or five years old. But baseball was the one sport that definitely stuck with me. Um, I don't know if it's just that's where I was pushed to play or if that's just uh, where my abilities were, were greatest compared to other sports. But, um, yeah, just grew up super active, stuck with baseball the longest, obviously. Played through high school, uh, was fortunate enough to play at the Division One level. And, uh, yeah, and then from there just kind of jumped into the business world. Um, kind of relating back to my baseball career. But yeah, I, I consider myself still to this day, you know, work out every day, super active, um, try to keep the athlete mentality going for as long as I can. That's awesome. And I actually wanted to go back to your recruiting process from when you were in high school and then you went initially to Seton Hall for your first semester. And I think if my research is correct, you were having a little bit of trouble with the recruiting process. So you kind of took matters into your own hands and it might be a common thing to do now, but at the time you recorded a video of yourself at uh, hitting and you uploaded to YouTube and that ultimately ended up getting you a division one offer, correct? Yeah. Good research. Um, yeah, it was, the year was 2011. So definitely different than right now. I mean, look at things like TikTok and things that are coming out. It's definitely a way different world, but, um, I did go to a small prep school in Connecticut. I grew up in Connecticut. So for anyone who's familiar with baseball, it's definitely, depending how you look at it, kind of a disadvantage to come from New England, obviously seasonality of baseball, you know, having to get outside and things like that. So um, coming out of the prep school that I was at, super talented team, um, played with amazing players in in high school. A lot of them are still playing in in pro ball and things like that. Uh, But for me, even though I was still one of the better players on the team, for some reason, I just couldn't really crack onto the scene um, and get the interest from the coaches that I was hoping for. And yeah, like I said, the year was 2011. Um, the video is still on YouTube today. If you just look up my name, it's one of them that, that shows up. It's the, uh, the one that's all fuzzy and old. I think I shot on like an old MacBook or something like that. And uh, yeah, just had the intuition that it seemed like a good idea, or at least that it couldn't hurt um, to kind of get that video footage up there. And uh, it, it's just crazy now looking back. Um, I'm sure we'll talk more about the business and stuff, but you know, just how technology has brought us together. I mean, there's pros and cons. I know it's kind of a debate. You know, is it healthy? Is it not? Um, but just the fact that, you know, that was only eight years ago, you know what I mean? And, and look at where we are now. It's, it's pretty fascinating. But um, yeah, so that jump started my, my recruiting process. And I uh, was fortunate enough that Seton Hall watched the video. Um, I emailed it to them just with the YouTube link. Um, 
and they watched it, invited me to campus, and that's uh, where I ended up verbally committing out of high school. That's awesome. And now, again, if my research is correct, your first at bat went pretty well at Seton Hall, right? Yeah. So, so here, here's what happened. I actually ended up transferring from Seton Hall after the fall season. So, in college baseball, there's kind of like a fall season where it's all inter squad scrimmages and stuff like that. And after my fall semester, I was making the transition. I was a corner infielder in high school. And they wanted me to be a catcher. And it just wasn't going so well. So what I ended up doing was I sat down with the coaches, coaching staff. Um, I think we just had a difference of vision in terms of, like, where I fit in on the roster. And so I just didn't really want to be a catcher, even though that's kind of what I gave them my commitment to be, that I would make this transition. It just wasn't going as planned. You know, I had concerns that I was just going to waste kind of valuable time and, and years of my career um, that I obviously was trying to extend at the time beyond college. And so – I actually decided to transfer um, in the middle of the, the fall and spring semester. Ended up transferring uh, to a small D1 school, uh, Siena College, which is in the Albany, New York area. And uh, so I had to sit out that spring season because of the way the NCAA transfer rules work. I believe it's the same in all sports. It's a big issue now. I know in like football and basketball and some other things. But so I had to sit out. But yes, you're, you're right. Um, I, I ended up getting a, a contract for summer ball. Um, at, for a team that was local to where I grew up in Connecticut in a really good league, the NECBL, um, which is like probably the second best league behind the Cape Cod League. And yeah, it was my first at bat, obviously a lot of anticipation and uh, hit, hit probably a 400 foot fence, uh, home run over the fence, uh, dead center. And so that was, that was pretty cool. Uh, I think, I think that's where I peaked if I'm being honest, <laughs> you, know, first at bat, you know, freshman year was kind of downhill from there, but it was definitely a cool moment. That's awesome. And so eventually it was at Siena where you kind of started dabbling with business, correct? It was, yeah. So I can kind of walk you through the, the progression. So it was uh, my, my sophomore year um, in the fall. And for some reason, like to be honest, I don't really like – I like to work. But like in terms of being an employee, I have never liked that. Like in terms of just like a, a nine-to-five you know, hourly wage job, like my mind has never worked like that. But for some reason, I had this inclination that I needed to go get an internship at the same time in the fall season. And so I did that with a local company. Um, it was like a finance law internship uh, right in the Albany area. And it was horrible. Like, it was just like spreadsheets, you know, just pounding the keyboard all day. Like I'm exhausted. I have lift. I have class. I have practice. And so I don't know why I did that, but it was the most eye-opening experience. I was like, I'm never, this is not for me. And so that was like, got the wheels turning in terms of, okay, I need to think about if, if baseball is not my path, which was becoming more and more apparent that it probably wasn't going to be, I need to figure out, you know, what the hell is next? You know what I mean? And so I think that's maybe what the, the voice in the back of my head was uh, speaking to me in terms of getting that internship. And so that got the wheels turning for me. Um, and I just watched too much Shark Tank, I think, was my problem. And I think a lot of people do that. And, it, you know, they make it look easy on TV. And it's, you know, I can tell you from firsthand experience, it's very over-dramatized. Like starting a business, raising money for a business is, is very different than what you see on TV. But it, I would say those are the two things that really got the wheels turning for me, you know, if I'm being honest. And so, you know, I had a couple ideas um, that I thought were valid. None of them related to baseball. And so... I just started pitching people over email, you know, similar to Shark Tank. I'm telling you, it, it sounds funny, but it's like I'm, I think I just watched too much of it. And it's, you know, and it's, it's something to talk about because I think people jump into entrepreneurship seeing things like that or they know someone who has a business and it's successful. 
and they think it's super easy and they take these massive, massive risks, which it's always going to be a risk, but you, you definitely have to be careful. You know what I mean? If you don't have something to risk or, you know, your bills to pay, you just need to make the best decisions. But anyway, not to go off on a tangent, but, but going back to what I was saying, yeah, I, I just started to pitch people and basically through this like 12 month progression, I think it was like two or three other ideas unrelated to baseball, unrelated to scout day, just figured out what not to do. Like no one's going to give you money without like a product or really a place to put their investment and understand what they're going to get and if the business is going to work and, and things like that. And so it was almost through this reverse process that I learned how not to start. And so I remember the day um, at Siena, there was a, a place called the Stack Center, which is a place for entrepreneurship where they you know, kind of foster business students and, and non-business students too, who have the ambition to start their own business. And so I was there a good amount, I would say. Um, something to know about me, I was not an academic. Don't even know my GPA. I'm still even a couple of credits short from actually obtaining my diploma from Siena, um, which is another fun fact, and I have no shame in admitting that. Um, so I walk into the Stack Center, and I'm working on this like real estate app idea that I had, which was like it was like crazy looking back, but like to me it made total sense, right? And I sat down with the guy, the director of the program, and I was like, "Look, I'm not I'm not doing this real estate idea anymore. I've had this idea, you know, through my experience with baseball." Uh, you know, through all these conversations, I understand the power of being what's called a domain expert. And so like I was a domain expert in baseball because I lived the pain point of this product and vision that I had. So I was uniquely positioned as opposed to somebody else who didn't have the real life experience that I had to actually take the steps to formulate this business and, and how to make it reality. And so I told him his name was Matt. I was like, Matt, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm moving forward with this baseball idea. And I called it Go D1. So Scout Day was formerly known as Go D1. And so I'll just keep keep going through the story um, of how we came up with Scout Day. But So there was a pitch competition very similar to, to Shark Tank called Spark Tank <laughs> um, at Siena. And so this was like probably two or three months after the initial uh, like aha moment, even though I've always had the idea. Like the moment where I was like, okay, I'm going to commit to this idea. And this is my senior year um, at Siena at this point. So I entered a Spark Tank. I had never competed in Spark Tank before. I hated public speaking, you know, even for presentations in class, you know, things like that. I was the guy stammering and stuttering up there, had no idea what he was talking about, probably was underprepared. And so I entered this pitch competition. I think it was like for 500 bucks or a thousand bucks he won. And during the two or three months leading up to the competition, I was taking it super serious. Like this was a, a venture I really wanted to get going. So I was I was doing some level of marketing. The website was goD1.com was a domain that I had. And I was driving people through Twitter. The year is obviously 2016 now. So before Instagram really popped, I was using Twitter. And I was driving people to almost fill out like a wait list of here's kind of an idea of like what's potentially coming with this this company you know, would you be interested? And so being in the baseball market, I knew all the accounts and things that the baseball community followed. So I paid those accounts. I think it was like $25 for a tweet or something like that. I paid for a couple tweets, you know, sponsored tweets to drive traffic to the website and it worked. I had 500, a thousand emails by the time this pitch competition came around. And it's just a funny story. I mean, so I, I have all my numbers. I do my PowerPoint. I'm not a creative person. You know, my PowerPoint looks like crap. I mean, everyone's does, but like, you know, being where I am now, it looks like crap and I should have done better. You know what I mean? But like, so I pitch, 
and I come in fourth place. I have like a real thing, like really people interested. The other companies are all just like fantasy ideas, like in a perfect world, this is what I would do. And the first place company was like this oyster farm that wasn't even real, had no like no traction. And to this day, I will never live it down that I lost to a freaking oyster farm and I didn't win the 500 bucks. And so, but just to circle back to what I know we're going to get to kind of later in the episode, it was the main thing that was wrong was my branding. They said, why would you name a company godone.com? They said that would never fly in the real world. And you know what? You know, I was was pissed. I was upset. I'm a competitive guy. I want to win. The next day, I changed the name to Scout Day. And what Scout Day is, for those who don't know, is Scout Day in baseball is when at the college level, you do this workout during the fall and all the scouts from the professional teams gather around your team. They watch you work out. You run the six-yard dash. You hit batting practice. The pitchers throw bullpens. And so the premise around my, my vision was I'm going to create a digital scout day. And so it was a pretty simple change. People love the name and, and, the, and the branding was good. But that was my first lesson in branding was through losing this, this meaningless, meaningless pitch competition. And so from then on, you know, change the name to Scout Day. And that's, you know, I'm sure you have questions and whatnot. But that's just kind of the to give the listener the full picture of kind of how I got to this point was a lot of failure, a lot of wasted time, um, a, a lot of time put in into especially these ideas that went absolutely nowhere. But it was such valuable experience. And I think just to give one key takeaway, I, I think people try and give up. And, and that's okay. You know, everything we try is not going to work out in the way that we hope. But really always try to have a takeaway. Because I could have just packed it up when I didn't win this pitch competition for 500 bucks. And I could have said, my idea is stupid. I, I suck. I can't do it. And, and just stop. You know what I mean? But I didn't. I took a key takeaway and decided to keep moving forward in a much better way. And obviously, it ended up working out okay. So just to give, just to give the listener a key takeaway, um, that's a big piece of advice that I give to people who, you know, ask me questions about my background or, or the story is, you know, always take a takeaway. There's going to be failure, but, you know, you have to know when to keep pushing and when to not and, you know, what lessons to take. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so you're saying that scout day at the collegiate levels where the MLB teams come to watch you do all the run through batting practice, the bullpen, do the six yard dash, but your, your app itself, your platform was to help high school students find colleges, correct? It was. And, and I was just looking for a new name. I mean, I was in such a hurry to rebrand this thing because I was so, my feelings were so hurt that I didn't win that I just, excuse me, I just needed something as soon as possible. And so Scout Day seemed to make sense. I had a designer kid who was kind of helped me out, came with a logo, did a little testing on the color. We ended up, uh, the color's blue. Um, For those who don't know what the Scout Day logo looks like. And that was the logo. Very simple, simple branding. Um, Obviously did some testing um, in the community. Um, but yeah, it, it, the relevance is, is not exactly, but it, it's close enough where you, anyone in the baseball community, I knew would understand the premise. And from a marketing perspective, having the word scout in the name, I felt was key. Um, an idea from like an SEO perspective or however you're looking at it, that anyone who's looking up that word or that term or similar terms would be able to discover the name. So it just seemed like it made sense at a lot of levels. I can't say it was very scientific again of how I came up with the name. But, you know, again, it, 
it, look, a name is what you make it. What was Starbucks before it was Starbucks or Google before it was Google? It's just a, a dumb word. Like, what is Google? You know what I mean? Uh, as a founder or a CEO or, or a CMO of a company, your brand is what you make it. Uh, you, you look at Uber. I mean, these are just random words, random words that these companies have built, you know, multi-billion dollar meanings out of, you know? Yeah. And so ultimately how, how the platform would work was similar to what you did back in 2011 is people would record videos themselves and upload it to scout day. And then coaches and scouts would go on and kind of go through the platform to find players that they like that way. Exactly. Yeah. So how the, how the baseball uh, scouting process or recruiting process works um, traditionally is you go to these big tournaments or big showcases and all the players travel to one place. Let's say it's Georgia or Florida, Atlanta, um, you know, Fort Myers, Let, let's say those are two places. All the players, their teams descend on these big facilities that have 12, 16, 20 fields, and they just play games and they go through these, these showcases and all the coaches are there. And so how the platform worked was it was designed to have the same effect in a digital manner. So with all the video footage and data that's out there, why are our families still required to pay and the colleges too? Budgeting is a huge problem in college baseball. For the colleges, the families, everyone involved to spend all this money to go to this field. Super important for these, these players to be seen in person for sure. But the success rate of being recruited successfully and getting either a scholarship and or a roster spot on one of these teams is so low. So if you think about the excess of money that's being spent on just even travel, entry fees into these events, it seemed to me at the beginning of the, the formative stage of like the vision, just very excessive. And there was just no innovation. No one was even trying to solve this problem. And so I almost took it just upon myself as almost a personal crusade, looking at what I had to go through, you know, the pointless showcases, you know, all the travel, you know, coming up empty, even though, even if you have a good performance and I just saw no innovation in the space. And so that's how the platform was designed to work was, you know, taking taking the, the proven business model that is baseball recruiting and laying a digital platform over it. That's awesome. I think it's cool that you kind of like use the pain point you had to help build a business. And in terms of growing that business, I have a couple numbers written down here. I think it was in nine months, you grew the platform to over 20,000 users with 100,000 Instagram followers and you're reaching about 500,000 people organically per week on social media. Are those numbers accurate? Yeah. So... I think Instagram ended up being like maybe 125,000. It, it was more than 100,000, um, but less than 150,000. I don't remember the exact number um, when I sold it. But uh, but yeah, I mean, look, the, a lot of the content, uh, just as a marketing tip, I know that's kind of what we're going to talk about here. Um, video was so big for us on social media. And that's why our reach, our organic reach was so large. Um, I mean, I did a lot of influencer marketing, which we can dive into it in a little bit. Um, but in terms of the organic reach, which has taken a downturn, you know, honestly, just this year, even since I kind of sold the company, um, you know, the, the video and the high engagement rate that we had, even being a brand um, and, and getting those videos on the Explore page was the sole reason why we were able to get, you know, such an extensive reach was, you know, let's call it one out of four videos was getting, you know, 100 to 250,000 views on a page that had you know, let's call it 125,000 followers. Like those aren't normal numbers, but because the community was real and we had a real connection with the community, the engagement was so high, it was just naturally driving and kind of boosting the pay, the uh, the post for us. 
um, which led to our organic growth of the page and, and things like that. So, um, but yeah, in terms of user count, you know, we had players from over uh, 15 countries internationally. So, um, you know, it's obviously not the biggest, biggest app ever built from a user standpoint, but we were definitely at a global uh, presence, um, whether it was like Latin America, Asia, uh, Europe. Um, so we had uh, players from over 15 countries on the app, which was exciting. Um, yeah. And so in terms of the content itself, were you generating that content your own or were you using the content being put on Scout Day in order to kind of repurpose that and use that for the social channels? Yeah, that's a great question. So a lot of the uh, the content strategy, I would, I would say, you know, looking at the lifespan of the business, about 90% of the content was user generated. Um, and, and what user generated means is, you know, we, we had all kids following us. And, and you know, if anyone knows uh, anybody, you know, 15 to 25 years old, you know, having social media clout and ending up on a page that has six figure followers is a big deal. You know, you get to be the, the big man or big woman on campus for, you know, a couple of days and you get your, your time in the, the, the spotlight. You know what I mean? So we had a lot of outreach from players all over the world. Like, you know, I remember hearing from kids in Israel, um, like places you would never expect just asking for, for us to post their video. And so our content budget for so long was zero because we just didn't need to go make branded content because this is, we had a strong relationship with the community. We knew this is what the community wanted to see. Um, and so that's kind of how our content strategy worked was it was just all user submitted, user generated, you know, obviously a lot of that content I, I assume existed in the app. I wouldn't say we went into the app and pulled um, specific videos from the app. Uh, it was more from direct messages and, and people tagging us and things like that. Um, I will say, if you notice, I said about 90%. Um, and the reason why I say 90% of it was user generated is because towards towards the end of, of the lifespan of the business before it got acquired, um, that's obviously when the page was the biggest, the engagement was the highest. And we did start to do um, our own original content, which worked out amazing. I mean, we got we got to do some really amazing projects. Um, one of them was going all the way down to Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic, which is where um, if you know baseball, David Ortiz, Manny Ramirez, um, players like that, they, they now have kids, um, you know, Manny's kids I hung out and, and met with down there. Um, so it's just an amazing baseball community down there. We're able to highlight, you know, one particular player from down there, but really also bolster up that, that community. And they were just so appreciative, you know, like down there, I, I would say social media is even bigger. So like we were almost like celebrities to them. They couldn't even believe it was like, it was almost like major league baseball was down there doing like a documentary. You know what I mean? They were just so appreciative and grateful that, you know, we were there to, to shine a light on, you know, what these kids go through to get seen um, just to have equipment, you know, the, the fields that they're using and things like that. So that was an amazing project. Um, we did a lot of original content uh, with, with some of the uh, first round draft picks from what would it be? I think it was this year's draft, 2019, if it was the fall of 18. Um, so probably about somewhere between five to 10 of the first 30 draft picks um, we hung out with in Florida at one of the big amateur baseball tournaments and did pieces with each of those players individually and obviously got to meet with them and, and wish them all the best. And I'm sure we'll be seeing some of them in the big leagues for the years to come. So projects like that, and it, and it just shows kind of the duality kind of of the brand where we did everything from going to, um, you know, a, a less wealthy part of the world where these baseball prospects are super talented, but under-resourced and spotlighted them and the content did amazing. And we also did content with the, uh, you know, uh, American born players 
who are the best prospects in the country, all American, and we spotlighted them as well. And, and the community reacted positively about both. And so that that was the the coolest part from a from a content standpoint and an original content standpoint. You know, we we were just a true hub and, and true community, and so much of the feeling. If there's one thing I, I miss about kind of operating the business, it's it's feeling a, like a part of the community, and the community was part of us. It wasn't like Scout Day was a brand, and we're hitting them with targeted ads, and we're hoping they swipe up and things like that. It, it just really was. Uh, we were all one on the same mission. You know, people believed in kind of the the battle that we were trying to fight for the greater good. You know, not money, but you know, just trying to build a platform for you know for everybody. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of what we did from a content perspective was. We did start to get into the original content towards the end um, for the last probably three to five months um, of the business before it got acquired. But leading up to that, it was 100% user generated. That's fair. And I actually wanted to talk about your community because I saw a tweet you made a little while ago and you were talking about the importance of building a grassroots grassroots relationship with your audience mm-hmm. it's like what are some things that you would recommend to businesses in terms of building that relationship with uh, individuals so important and it's such a conundrum right because it's like we were we were i mean there's huge brands out there with millions of followers so like i don't want to compare us to, to them um i'm sure it's super challenging once you're that big to go back and and really build up the grassroots but for us being a, a startup that started literally at nothing you know just three years ago to you know, a global community, let's call it, you know, a couple hundred thousand on a weekly basis, kind of looking at our content. The grassroots was the glue that held it all together. And it sounds super unscalable, but it was, it was doing things like going out to the events and providing, you know, what was my face? Um, you know, we weren't a big company. It was really just me and maybe the, the content team that came with me for those, for those trips, but to, to provide uh, kind of a real human connection to say, we're not just a page. We're not just hitting you with the, the paid ads and things like that. Like, this is me. I, I was you not too long ago. And if you have questions about the recruiting process, not about our product, not how much is a subscription, how much is an evaluation. If you, if you just want to talk about baseball, if you want to send me a video, those are the things that I did that are grassroots, both digitally and offline. And that was the most important thing. I can't count the number of personal relationships, the, the, the players who I met that I know their names and I know their story. It's 50, 100. I don't know the exact number. But those players are the ones who commented on all the posts. They shared every post to their story. Not me asking. No, no engagement groups. None of that. It was we had a real base of people who we didn't have an ambassador program, but they were our ambassadors. It wasn't, again, the, the, the swipe up ads and, th- and things like that, that a lot of businesses do that really do work in the short term. And look, I'll be honest, we struggled a lot as a business. Our product was about probably six to nine months late, later than I promised it publicly, you know, through the page. Um, whenever we were trying to put out an update in the app store, it was always behind, you know what I mean? So I was out there over-promising, being a first-time entrepreneur, you know, believing timelines on things that were not necessarily dependent on my skill set. And these things happen in business. But what kept it all together and what kept people there was the fact that we had the grassroots community. And so how do you build a grassroots community? It's 
what drives me nuts is you see people, especially on Twitter or LinkedIn, they read these books and or they go to a conference and they're quoting people from a conference or they're quoting people from a book. And I know how they operate their business and it's not at all what they're saying. What they're saying is right. They're saying the right things, but it's really, really hard. Community building is hard. And I think since everyone is on social media, everyone thinks they know how to do it. And so everyone, the next guy always knows better until they don't. And so if you're a business owner and you're, you're actually serious, you go to the conferences, you read the books, you know what to do. My advice would just be to do it. Really make an effort. Instead of spending whatever you spend on a, a weekly or monthly basis, uh, a monthly basis on Facebook ads, you know, figure out a way to get engaged with your community. Whatever your customer base is, whoever your end user is, figure out a way of, of what they need in terms of support, in terms of questions, in terms of information, and find a way to give it to them. It could be a podcast. I did podcasts, didn't get a lot of listeners, but for the 500,000 people listen, they all loved it. You know what I mean? I'm sure you feel the same about your podcast. It's Maybe you don't have the biggest listenership, but the people who listen, it's valuable for them, and that matters. And I think that's the problem. The problem is people get lost in the metrics. They want to know how many followers you have, what's your engagement rate, you know, how many comments do you get, how many messages. That's not what matters. What matters is the level of impact you have. Because if you're able to generate an impact on a personal level, you have something that is scalable. And the next step from there is just figuring out how to, how, figure out how to scale it. And so that's what I did with Scout Day. And I think that's where a lot of businesses go wrong is they get lost in the, in the clouds of the numbers that are important, especially short term, especially for these startups that need to raise money or have a, a founder CEO who has expectations of certain things. Like you, you, you need to hit those numbers for sure. But if you want to build something long term and something that's scalable, you can scale the impact that you have on the individual. And that's, that's where you have to either start if you're just starting out or if you're already ahead and you have a bunch of followers. You need to figure out immediately if you don't have this type of grassroots community. How do I bring the information and the uh, support and help to these people, uh, you know, on a daily basis, on a weekly basis? You know, maybe it's only once a month. Maybe you only have the bandwidth to do, you know, a meetup or something like that. Whatever it is, it, every business is different. Every customer base is different. For us, it was getting to those events where all the players were. It was taking pictures with them posting on our story, answering their questions, giving them a free t-shirt. Not, hey, here, 25 bucks for my t-shirt that cost me $7 to buy. None of that. Here's a t-shirt. You're a part of our family. You know what I mean? I probably lost thousands of dollars on, on merchandise. You know what I mean? But people still post stories of them wearing their Scout Day shirts. And the, the brand doesn't exi exist anymore. So, you know, that's just kind of my advice in terms of, you know, community building is it's really hard. And it feels really unrewarding until it is. Exactly. And like it might, and especially in the beginning, it might feel like it's going to be difficult to scale. But I had a guest on here once in the past say it was a quote from someone else. And he said, it takes things that don't scale to scale. Mm -hmm. And that's just, you're, you're just kind of saying the exact same thing there. And I completely agree. But I wanted to get into influencer marketing a little bit. I know you touched on earlier, you'd pay people like $25. I believe you said to do like sponsored tweets. And did you read that anywhere? Like, did someone tell you to do influencer marketing or that's kind of come naturally to you? That just, that just came natural. And I, and I try to put my finger on why, you know, I didn't read medium or LinkedIn or anything. In I mean, I didn't even read the textbooks. <laughs> well, that stuff. Um, so I have no idea. 
it just came natural. I started with Twitter just to give you an idea of kind of the progression of, of the scout day brand and, and our accounts built up Twitter pretty fast. We ended up getting like 2,500 followers, which is okay. Um, it's, it's not nothing, but it's not like a ton. And you know, we had a couple thousand on Instagram. It was like 3000 maybe. And the year's like, it's November, 2017. And I remember the day I was sitting in, in Hawaii with my family for Thanksgiving break. And I was just sitting on Instagram and I'm just like, Again, it's, this is all intuition. I, I, I read a lot of stuff now, uh, but I really didn't back then. And I was like, there, this seems really important. And I just started doing the influencer stuff on Instagram. And, and lo and behold, you know, here we are talking today and you know, hundreds of thousands of people later and uh, mm-hmm. worked out okay. And so when you're doing influencer marketing, how do you kind of figure out who to work with? And when you are doing these campaigns, is it more so to try and just grow the brand of at the time, I guess, Scout Day? Or was it more so to try and get app down or uh, users to the app, or was it kind of a combination of both? It was a combination of both for sure. Um, I, I understood the value of owning the traffic. I knew I needed my own community. That you know, obviously for an app, you can only download it once. So like the lifetime value of that transaction, if that's how you want to look at it, is like okay, if someone follows me and then downloads the app, like they're, they're over, right? Like they, they already converted, you know what I mean? It doesn't matter, but I didn't think about it that way. I knew if I could build up this community and, and have them be super engaged, that it would have more benefits than just one app download. It would create conversation. It would solidify our place within the baseball industry. Um, so that's why I understood and, and really focused on, uh, as well as growing the app, kind of controlling the traffic and building a community. Um, but I did use the influencers um, to, to for the app traffic as well. And honestly, I was a bigger fan of that because it allowed me to keep my own community cleaner of ads and, you know, making it seem like we're a brand that cared about only conversion. It's like a lot of brands. Um, so if you think about it, it just, it was almost like a, a deviation from marketing through my own logo and kind of borrowing someone else's already built up traffic and things like that. And yeah, I mean, it, it allowed me to blanket the market for sure um, because a lot of the baseball pages are, are big, um, bigger than what Scout Day was. But at the same time, I think the, the biggest uh, attraction for me in terms of when I actually had the app to promote um, was definitely the fact that I didn't have to kind of spam my own page and my own audience all the time. You know, once in a while, obviously, I would do it. Otherwise, I would just be silly. But it wasn't, you know, on a daily basis. You know, maybe let's call it like once a week, maybe. I'll do like a story and, you know, say, Hey, you know, apps updated, you know, we got this school to sign up, whatever, you know, but it was important that the value, that the value was there. It wasn't like, Hey, if you're bored, go download it. It was like, you know, we have something to offer, whether it was a new school or an update or something like that. That's how I strategically kind of used the promotion through the scout day community, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then with the people that you're partnering with, where was there a certain size of following or audience that you were looking for when you were partnering with them? Um, I mean, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't use this as a general rule of thumb, but for me, it was definitely six figures. But that's just because that's kind of the norm. Um, there was there was enough pages out there and people to partner with where any less just didn't make sense because I'm sure a lot of the people who follow a page with fifty thousand are the same, you know, fifty thousand that the page that has seven hundred fifty thousand. You know what I mean? So from a cost perspective, it was just better to to go bigger. But it really depends on your industry. So I, again, I just to emphasize, I wouldn't use that as a rule of thumb. You might be in an industry that's very, very niche, which is which is awesome. Honestly, I'm a, I'm a big fan of kind of niche businesses. Um, 
but maybe the big pages or influential people in your industry have 10,000, you know, and they're super, super engaged. And maybe your business only needs a hundred customers. You don't need 20,000. You know what I mean? So every business is different. You just kind of have to evaluate the landscape, be realistic. Um, and also get pricing from more than one person. If, if you're a business, uh, you know, owner, person looking to do this, <coughs> excuse me, um, get pricing from more than one person because it will allow you to kind of really kind of survey the market um, and understand kind of what's fair um, and things like that. So I was curious because over talking with people on this podcast, a lot of people are pointing to the rise of like micro influencers. Mm -hmm. So with this next question, it's not really a right or wrong answer. I'm just more so curious as to what like you would do. If you had a $50,000 budget, would you partner with one big influencer or 50 micro influencers at $1,000 each that with, if you combine the total following of the micro influencers, it's the same as the one big influencer. I would definitely say the, the micro influencers for sure. Um, and honestly, my reason is maybe not why you're expecting it is there, there's so much BS right now on Instagram specifically kind of with, you know, buying followers and, you know, you look at a page, they have <coughs> 250,000 followers and they, they're getting, you know, a hundred likes, you know, but I'm assuming what you're asking this influencer is legitimate, but either way, you just have to assume, even if you did, even if you did, um, I don't know what it's called, but you can do like a checkup kind of on these accounts now where you put it in and it shows you kind of what percent of your followers are real and things like that. Like I never bought a single follower. And even for mine on Scout Day, it was like 85% of it was real. So they're, they're saying like 15% are like bots and things like that. So that that would be the main reason why I'd go with the micro influencers is it kind of deviates that risk for you. Where um, let's say, you know, 20% of them perform. You know, like you're more likely to get better results, you know, than just going with the one influencer. And if the content's not right, it gives you more opportunity to experiment. There's just a lot of benefits to kind of spreading it out. Um, and, and I spread mine out as well. Um, for us, it was I work with one kind of holding company. They, they had multiple assets, you know, some of them super large, you know, hundreds of thousands. And then some of them kind of smaller, more near like 100,000. And so it was multiple pages, but the same company. Um, and so that was kind of my strategy was uh, it allowed me to get preferred pricing by being a loyal client. Um, but also like I was still diversifying, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. No, that totally makes sense. And I wanted to ask you as well, uh, just changing gears a little bit here about being acquired. You mentioned it a couple of times throughout the, the podcast here. So you were recently acquired by Better, correct? Mm -hmm. April and so April. Okay. So like, how did that come about? And I know at one point you were their head of growth. Are you still with them now? Um, so I'm no longer with better. I worked there for about six months after the acquisition um, and kind of was involved with like the rebrand of all the scout day assets into the better assets. Um, how it came about um, kind of crazy story. Like I mentioned, it's a long story. I know we're, we're running out of time, but I'll, I'll be brief. Um, anyway. So like I mentioned before, um, Scout Day did get into kind of the original content space. I had posted on LinkedIn. I was looking for content creators, especially here in the Boston area. So then I, you know, I could travel with them and whatever. Um, got recommended to meet with uh, one guy. Um, got a coffee with him, and he was telling me about his company. You know, obviously I told him about mine, and we were really striving to work on a project. You know, for Scout Day, and never worked out. But him and I kept in touch. I think maybe we got coffee. Um, you know, three times maybe. And this third time, you know, 
I was I was having trouble kind of raising money for the next round. I really need to go raise, you know, millions of dollars kind of to take the next step, right? Like I built something real. There was definitely something there, but I, I didn't know the direction to go. And so, and his company had the problem of they had a bunch of creative people, but they like they didn't really know how to grow it. They didn't have an audience. And so obviously he worked at Better and I, I worked at Scout Day and um, he introduced me to the, the founder and CEO of Better, um, who I have great respect for. Um, and yeah, we just figured it out over like a six week period. I think it was, I had multiple offers. Um, a lot of people don't know that. I don't really talk about this much publicly, but, um, did have multiple offers and, um, better seemed like the best situation, uh, for me. Um, and also kind of, you know, I believed in the, in the vision of what they were building and I felt like the assets could be put to best use, um, you know, with them. And so that's why I chose them. Um, it was an amazing opportunity. The team is so talented there. Um, again, so they're just a team of amazing creatives, um, founded by a former Facebook executive. Um, and so they have great leadership and, uh, they're going in a great direction and doing a lot of positive work for uh, the next generation. Um, and for me, just going in a different direction, um, I think is best. Uh, I'm still involved kind of, uh, in the sports world better has since kind of gone away from just being sports focused. Um, so I think it's a better fit for me. Um, longer term to be uh, more of a, a specialist, if you want to look at look at it that way, um, kind of in the sports arena. And so um, that's what I'm doing now. Um, I left better August, early August. And so um, now I just do kind of consulting full time for sports focused businesses. And with kind of being like sports specific, I know we're like just about five minutes or so left here, but I wanted to ask you about um, athletes building their personal brands on social media. Personally, I feel like athletes could do a much better job. I'm just curious to see what you've kind of seen from professional athletes and even division one athletes when it comes to the content and what they're putting out on social media to build up their own brand. Yeah. I mean, look, if you're an athlete and you're listening to this, huge missed opportunity if you're not you know, thinking about on a daily basis, how am I? What am I posting and how am I growing my page? Because, you know, being an athlete is is a privilege, um, especially in America. Obviously, our culture idolizes even college athletes. I mean, look at Zion and people. I mean, obviously, he's he's top tier. But, you know, you don't have to be making the millions of dollars to be like an, an icon in society. You know what I mean? And hopefully, eventually, NCAA will change its rules. But let's say they don't and, you know, you, you finally make it to the pro ranks. You're, you're leaving a lot more money on the table. Um, for yourself, um, not capitalizing and growing, you know, your social media and, and having a message. I think that's what's important is, you know, let's say you're a college football player. I think it's easy, you know, if you post pictures of yourself, that you're the running back, you're posting pictures of you, you know, scoring a touchdown, you know, getting ready for the game. Like that stuff's easy. But like, what are you really saying? You know what I mean? Because I think that's the, the even the bigger missed opportunity is, you know, being a college athlete, uh, on a big stage, it gives you the the leverage to have that attention so that your your sports posts do well. And I, ru- I run into this even with my own. I, I mean, I was kind of a nobody college baseball player, but like even my personal page, if I post something of, of me in a baseball uniform and I haven't even touched a bat in three years, it's going to get 2,000, 3,000 likes when my average picture gets like 1,000 to, to 1,500. You know what I mean? Like that's my audience is is kind of this similar audience to Skeptic. Um but the challenge for me from personal branding, and, and I think where a lot of athletes go wrong, is I had to figure out what, what, what do I want to say? Um, not what's correct in society or, or what do people want to hear, but what do I want to say? What do I have to say? And so I've done a little bit of that 
Um, ever since I sold the company, I've taken a little step back because it was, it was easier for me having scout day. I had something to attach with and, you know, now more like a, like a free agent. And so I think I'm rethinking kind of what my message is going to be, you know, let's call it for the year 2020. Um, cause I'd like to get back into it, but that as an athlete, that's what you have to think about is I think it's, it's unlimited potential for what you can build your brand to be, whether you're a college, but especially pro, um, it takes a little investment from both time and, and money probably um, to do. Um, but super, super important. It's, it's, you're, you're more going to miss out on things than you are, you know, going to generate more opportunities if you don't do it. You know what I mean? So um, highly recommend it. And uh, if you ever, if anyone listening to this ever needs help, um, my Instagram is just at Tuccio, T-U-C-C-I-O. Um, send me a message. I can be a little bit slow sometimes, especially if it's, uh, a request, but you know, I will get back to you. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's my two cents. The only other question about that is like, I feel like the common argument is it's too distracting to be creating content. So do you think like with an athlete schedule that it's not as distraction and distracting, they do have time to make content? Um, it, it all depends. You know what I mean? Like if you're, you know, there's, there's special situations where I, you know, I'm working with one company, right. And, and they have, high, high level athletes invested in the company. We're trying to do content with them and we can't even get, you know, 10 minutes to shoot something with them. You know, the NFL, I'll, I'll tell you, it's NFL guys, NFL quarterbacks are invested in this, this company. And we can't even get 10 minutes until the season's over to, to shoot something. And, and they're invested. They, they put their money into this company. Um, so I think everyone has a different uh, mental process with things like that. Um, you know, for some of, who the guys are. Maybe it's better. They, they don't do the commercial right now for sure. Um, based on how they're playing and, and other things. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it, it all depends from the athlete perspective. If that's what you're asking, you have to know yourself. Um, if you feel like you're going to get sidetracked, you know, maybe, maybe you find a friend who's good at social media to help you out. Um, you know I mean? Someone you trust. There's no, there's no harm in doing that. That's better than not doing it all. So there's, there's ways to work around it. I think if you say, you know, oh, I'm too busy. No one's too busy. I think it's just an excuse. If you don't want to do it, that's one thing. Uh, but no one's too busy. There's always a way you can get help, especially if, if you're an athlete. I mean, there are so many people who want to help you, and especially to run your social page. Like, that's a dream for some people. So you just have to look around and ask if that's the case. No, I completely agree, man. But we are just a little over time here. So I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. I want to give you the floor, man. Where can the people find you? Plug anything and everything you got right now. Yeah, right now, like I said, um, full-time consulting, you know, anything from content, marketing, overall growth. Um, I do some strategic stuff as well. Um, if you're a business that needs uh, help in that regard, um, you can also message me on Instagram. Um, but for everyone else, just just follow me on Instagram. I try not to be too, too annoying. Um, you'll learn kind of where I'm traveling, what music I listen to, stuff like that, other pictures of my dog. Uh, other than that, I'm not really that interesting, but you know, if you, if you need help or, you know, want to do business or anything like that, um, just follow me at T-U-C-C-I-O um, on Instagram and, and we'll go from there. Awesome, man. Well, thank you once again for coming on the podcast and thank you to everybody for listening. Whether you've listened the entire way through, or you've only listened to bits and pieces. I really appreciate you taking the time to check this out. Everyone do me a favor, go and follow Alex on Instagram. I'll make sure everything is linked in the show notes down below. And if you'd like to follow me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and at the Jacob Kelly. Feel free to come and say hello. My DMs are always open. And if you'd like to find the podcast, you can find us on Instagram and at my social life podcast or on YouTube by searching up my social life. Thank you once again for listening, everybody. We'll talk soon.